Welcome to the Fabric Podcast, where we explore company culture and how it scales as a company grows. Brought to you by the team at The Receptionist, a bootstrapped Denver-based software company. Each episode of Fabric will set out to uncover unique and uncommon answers to the question, how do companies of any size create a culture and core values that employees actually live out? On this episode of the podcast, we're joined by Nick Bradley of The Fielding Group. Nick's company takes business owners who start businesses but aren't so good at scaling them. They're a business growth accelerator. And on this episode, we really talk about company culture, why it's so important, your starting point if you really haven't thought too much about it or if you need to change company culture for a company you've acquired. And Nick tells us a bit about what he does with companies as he works with them to help scale their business and how he has developed company culture for the fielding group and how he makes sure people who he hires are a really good fit. So stick around, enjoy, and learn more about company culture from Nick Bradley of The Fielding Group. Nick, welcome to The Fabric Podcast. How are you doing today? Sarah, it is fantastic to be here. Thank you for having me on the show. Yeah, thank you for joining us. So before we get into company culture, first of all, tell us about The Fielding Group. How are you helping companies grow and scale? Yeah, so I I set up The Fielding Group. It's actually, there's a bit of a long story, but I'll give the short um, version of it. I set up the fielding group because I realized that lots of entrepreneurs who start businesses are not necessarily the best people at scaling them. And what's interesting about that doesn't mean that the the entrepreneur suddenly has to go and build the whole team and bring lots of people in. That is part of scale up. But they also have to think about their identity, the skill set and mindset that they need to have. So I created the company off an acquisition that that I made, which was mainly around um, sort of interim management and recruitment. But it's evolved into what we call a business growth accelerator now. So when we go into an organization that's struggling to, to grow, struggling to scale, there's usually a blockage somewhere. And what I like to do is, is bring in high-level experienced experts in various areas like finance, operations, sales, marketing, um, to be able to fix the problem with intention and also quite rapidly um, and also to circumvent the issues that can happen when you make the wrong hire if you try and bring someone in permanently to an organization, which we talk about culture later on. That can be one of the biggest killers of a culture, particularly Absolutely. when you're in that startup scale up journey. Yeah, at the receptionist, we really take hiring seriously. We want to make sure we get the right people in. Uh, you're talking about all these things that, yeah, just fit really in line with how we do things. You know, we get our sharpshooters in when we're not experts. So that's fantastic. And a really interesting point that the people who start the companies may not be the ones who are excellent at scaling the companies. So good thing you exist. <laughs> Well, it was, you know what it was, to give a bit more context for everyone, I used to work in private equity. So for those who don't know what that is, essentially investment firms who buy businesses, usually when they're not optimized, and then they would you know, invest in them, scale them up and sell them. And everyone makes money when the business is sold. And I was sitting on the side of the desk of the investor, and I was seeing all these poor entrepreneurs and business leaders coming in and just not knowing how to navigate that world. So I, I saw an opportunity to to sort of jump over the table and actually help entrepreneurs, both because I could see the problem, but also because it gives me a bit more fulfillment doing that as well. Yeah, that's so interesting. So let's get into company culture. Share with us a bit about the company culture at the Fielding Group and and how did you go about creating this? Yeah, so the, the business that we inherited was very much more of a traditional setup culturally. So it was it was very much about an office. It was about you know people turning up and working a traditional Let's, let's say nine to five. Mm. And what I found, and this is my belief, and this is you know, be interesting to get into this today around culture, is that 
the world is changing so much that if you're you know fixating your culture around a place that everyone goes to and that's that's the main defining way of thinking about things then actually it can be quite limiting on what the business is trying to achieve so what we've done at, at fielding is is everyone is is more or less virtual um and we have experts in different stages of employment or association as part of our ecosystem anywhere in the world where they want to be part of our mission of what we're trying to achieve and importantly can add value to the various businesses that we're trying to help so to unpack that a little bit yeah. if there's someone who's a fantastic um marketing person chief marketing officer i i don't care where they're based if they're going to become part of our ecosystem then they they become part of who we are but they have to adhere to what we're trying to do to help people in terms of the mission as i mentioned beforehand they have to buy into the values that we have mm-hmm. um and they have to be you know from a, from their own skill set and mindset they have to have a, a certain way of operating which is a bit more disruptive and realize you know there's things like urgency one of our values is velocity okay and that's about you know making change happen as quickly as it needs to happen so i'm very clear about hiring and building teams based on values and mission that i am about the old way of thinking about things which is you know someone lives down the road and they need a job got it so a couple of questions i have from this so um sure. you mentioned velocity being one of your values and part of your culture how did you kind of land on these ideas that became so core in the culture of your company did you create it and then talk about it was it um with other people in the company H- how did those values come about yeah so i'm a big believer in um the, the leader of an organization or the, the the leadership team the values have to become in some cases windows into their own personal standards and values i think if that's not congruent and authentic it's very hard to bring people with you in any way shape or form right so the values that underpin fielding are values that were you know they're partly things i believe in and they're partly things my business partner believes in um but what we've done is we've attracted people to the business who have the same philosophy and ideology to those values. So they weren't, you know, let's sit in a room and create them on a wall. I know that does happen and I've worked yeah. with teams to do that. But I think unless the leader, that the person who's really driving the vision believes in this and it becomes part of who them they are, then it's hard to make that, you know, stick if you like within a business. Right. And we're going to get into how you help other companies with this, but I'm curious within your own company and finding the people that you hire how are you making sure that they are a good culture fit? Yeah, so I do a few things. I okay, I've got I do this in a bit of a weird way. Most of the things I do are not what most people do. Well, that's, that's part of why we have you here because you know yeah, we, so we don't more, not that we don't like traditional, but we we want to know what people are up to. So yeah, tell us what you do. Yeah, I'm a bit more disruptive about it. So I I tend to look at I think attitude and aptitude. And someone, you know, wanting to be part of an organization above and beyond the paycheck is first and foremost the thing I look for at a certain level of a person that I employ. Mm. Now, what I mean by that is if someone has to be brought in at a more senior level, I'm more interested to start to bring in things like their experience and the skill set that they have, you know, more that technical ability. So it doesn't mean that I'll compromise the values by any stretch but I'll be looking at them through a different lens. If I'm bringing someone in who's maybe a little bit less experienced, but they are absolutely, you know, really gung-ho, they want to be part of the whole thing we're doing, I'm prepared to have a go at bringing those people in because I know that I can teach them the role 
I know that they're going to be flexible and be able to fit into an organization because we're not a big business. We, we are you know, a team, if you like, that is working on really interesting projects globally all the time. So I need people who can just get stuff done and just be flexible and open-minded and have the right attitude all the time for that to work. So for me, I'm always interested in what they do outside of work, first and foremost. I'm interested in their standards. I'm interested in whether they understand their values. And one thing I always say is how you do anything is how you do everything. So I'm looking for examples about how people just live and how they live their lives to see if they're going to bring those standards into my business. Got it. That makes sense. So so let's shift gears then to how you're helping other companies with sure. culture. So what sorts of conversations are you having around culture when you're going in and talking about scaling and growing? How does this come up with these companies you yeah, work with? It's a great it's a great question on the basis that the definition I have, and this is my personal definition, this is not a textbook, of startup to scale up is the ability to lead people to bring people in. And that doesn't necessarily mean people in your organization. It can also mean your customers, your suppliers. But if you think about that for a second, if you're a startup and there's a whole romantic notion of two people in a shed, you know, the Google thing, right? (laughs) There's a point in time where you can't do that. You've got to suddenly employ someone. Um, So more often than not, when I'm helping an organization that's starting to grow, the first thing I say to them is, You've got to work on your culture from day one. You've got to work on your culture and understand what it is before you make that first hire. Now, often when I'm coming in, the business has already started to do this and they've got this chaotic um, system going on Mm. where they haven't done that and they have to retrofit things like mission and values and vision to something which has already got um, momentum and traction. Got it. Do you find that people, if, if they're already sort of in it and they didn't have the mission or it's unclear, or it's not working, do you find that they're resistant to go back and do that? Because I could see where you want to grow and scale and maybe people don't realize how important culture really is. Depends on the size. It depends yeah. on how many people are there. So how much, if, how much work they've already done and how hard it might be. <laughs> yeah, if you've got like, you know, and I say if you've got 10 to 15 business people in a business and you're you're still sort of start startup, you you're, you know, you're obviously profitable you know what you can you can do something with that because more often than not you're getting to the threshold of how the um, owner operator the ceo the md can touch if you like those individuals often in that situation you don't have many reporting lines you don't have many hierarchies whereas if the business is more than that let's say the business is 50 strong mm-hmm. then you've got lots of more complexity going on people have come in at different stages they've come in and they didn't realize what the founder was trying to do so at that point is where you get resistance. And that's where I actually see more restructures happening. More, and this is actually, this is quite an important point because there's people who are getting moved out of businesses because they don't fit the culture that now needs to be defined. And this is where sort of businesses that are going through scale up are starting to slow down. And it can be high risk because at this point is where you can actually start to affect the commercial side of the business. And this is where I see a lot of, scale up starting to not necessarily close, but they go through a very troubling period. And that's mm. when it's the most stressful period for the founder or the or the owner. Got it. Yeah. I was curious. I mean, I'm sure every company is different just across the board. And so therefore what happens with their culture is different. But how have you seen companies' cultures change and shift as they transition out of startup mode and into scale mode? Are there are there any things you've noticed or any patterns that, that tend to happen? Yeah, I, the ones that are culture-led versus strategy-led are the ones that are more successful. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so anyone who's listening to this thinking, you know, I, I kind of get culture, but I don't really understand it in a tangible, objective, practical way. There are ways of making it that, which we can we can talk about. So that's that's the first point. And I think the second thing is, <laughs> if the leader if the leader doesn't believe in in the importance of culture and values, and it's a lip service, if you understand the terminology to that, mm-hmm. then I think that's where I see the biggest problems. Because what happens is lots of people, if you think about generations coming into businesses and millennials coming in, a lot of people are more values led these days. They have they have a different sense of you know more purpose over profit, and if the leader doesn't get that and and understands that, he, I think that makes it hard for them to be able to build teams and to resonate with the sort of people that you'd want to bring into a business. Yeah. So you mentioned culture driven versus strategy driven, and you say that culture drives strategy. So tell us more about what that means. Who was who said that? Was that Peter Drucker? Someone? <laughs> there is a there's a famous quite, quote. Something quite possible. I think it was culture eats strategy for breakfast is the famous (laughs) quote. So we have to work out who said that. But it's always stuck with me when I used to do the corporate world. Um, Both are critical. So it's not to say I don't believe in the ranking 100%, but I think, you know, what I have seen is both. If you've got a great strategy but a poor culture, it's a very short-term level of um, win or success. Whereas if you have a strong culture and no strategy, it can be a great place to hang out, but nothing gets done and the business goes backwards as well. If you have a really great culture where everyone believes in you know, the longer term, where we're trying to go, and the strategy is intentional, then that's, that's the mix. Yeah. So my, my personal view is you have to have both. And if you haven't got both, there's going to be maybe a short-term win, but at some point, it's going to catch you up. Yeah. And so just a moment ago, you said, you know, talking about some concrete ideas or concrete examples. Can you talk to us a little bit more either with examples of companies you've worked with or that you've um, you've seen happen of like company culture and maybe putting that into place for a company that didn't have a very strong culture or it wasn't quite working? What yeah. might we see? I can, t- I can tell you, I'll give you an example of an education business that I worked in some time ago now where the quite a large organization actually so this is definitely probably more out of the startup scale this mm-hmm. is when you've got a business that's going through turnarounds so and this is this is sometimes where i think the cultural issues can really really kick out so when a business has been big and has been successful and then it slows down what do you do so i i helped this organization from a brand and marketing perspective because they'd lost their way and what i did is i went into the organization and i started asking people you know what do you do Mm-hmm. And more often than not, the response to that question was very much their job. So I do this, you know, I, I do the accounts or I, you know, I fix the computers, right? That, that was it. Mm-hmm. And the other thing that was interesting in this organization is I call it, I call it the, um, the 5 p.m. dash. It's where if you stand at the front of a business at 5 p.m., you see everyone just leave. Oh. Like you can't see people leaving the business quickly enough. You know what I mean? Have you ever been in yeah. that sort of organization? Yes. I think I, I think most of us have. <laughs> we can all pick yeah, it. Oh, yeah. yeah. I remember I'm that. Sitting there, I love this. I, I'm sitting there thinking, so what's happening at quarter to five? Because they're not working. Right. They're, they're, <laughs> it's like students in school where you start hearing the backpacks unzip, yeah. the books go in, the teacher's like, yeah. oh, the bell is not even ringing. Come on, people. Yeah. They're, yeah they're you know, I think, and, and, let's, and to be realistic, let's be frank, you are always going to have, if you're a bigger business, you're going to have some people who are there for the paycheck and not always there, but you want to minimize that balance as much as possible. 
So anyway, just to finish the example, as I went around and asked people what they did, what they really did is they helped people who, 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 who were struggling to get into the workforce, you know, get an education to change their lives because yeah. they were working with international, literally third world countries where just getting any type of qualification, you know, changed the trajectory of these people's lives. But everyone sitting in the head office had no connection with that. Now, the reason I talk about this example is what we did, it took a year, but we first redefined the brand and then we spent a year making that brand come alive within the organization so people could feel the, the difference they were making to people's lives. Yeah. How we did that is we had, we changed meeting rooms. You know, we had meeting rooms which started to connect the end beneficiary of this organization so people could see and feel it. We had um, different speeches. We had like literally a monthly, like a lunch and learn where we started to bring the customer in. And so these are all examples, I think, of igniting people to understand the purpose and the mission around values. This was about understanding the customer first. But, you know, had we have not done that, that business was not going to be lasting very long because it was almost like the blood and the life had been sucked out of it. Right. And that to me is the, the key thing around culture. Yeah. And part of what I think is important to hear in that is how long that took. This is not a quick and easy process to get through. I'm curious, if this had been more of a startup, do you think that would have taken less time to get established and bring on board for people? Yeah, there is definitely a difference between um, the size of an organization and the number of people that you have to influence and engage versus, as I said before, two people in a shed or 10 people in a, in right. a co-working space because you can touch them. So I think one of the big failings of leadership, and I work a lot with the CEOs and the founders, is their inability to communicate their mission, their vision, their values, or not their inability, their lack of confidence in doing so. And so, yeah. you know, people people want to be inspired, right? You know, it doesn't really matter. And if people aren't getting that from the leader, that's difficult. So you, you've got to deliver that in an organization of 2,000 as much as you've got to do it in an organization of 10. It's just much easier when you're all in the same space because you can have those conversations much more easily. Absolutely. Now, this might be a challenging question, um, but what do you believe is the most important requirement or maybe a couple of important requirements to creating a company culture that employees actually care about? Not just the posters on the wall, but something they actually care about. It is a, it's a tough question because it does depend yeah. on the, the sector of the business. I, I, I always start with, you know, what is the problem that we exist to solve? Okay. So it, if there's no problem, this is quite an important point generally. If, if, the, if there is no problem to be solved, the business doesn't really have a right to exist yeah. or it certainly doesn't have a sustainable place to go. And I think my biggest learning has been if there is a problem to be solved, you're solving that problem for a customer or a client. You need to be customer-led and customer-focused. So what I found is I can sit there and put a poster up on a wall. I can sit there and do a big speech. But if my customer comes in and tells that story, tells about the problems they're having, if I can connect the employee to the customer in a much more deliberate way, then everything becomes real. And so yeah. any business, I think, needs to do that. If, as soon as you lose sight of that, as soon as you put a wall up, then it doesn't work. Absolutely. And again, everyone's businesses are different in terms of what they do, who they serve, how they serve them, um, the size of their company. But any final tips or thoughts for companies who want to make their culture stronger, who want to work on this? Any 
I know this is so broad and probably hard to answer, but final tips or words of wisdom to to help people who want want to work on their company culture. So the thing I do more readily than not is it starts with, there's one question. There's one question I ask every leader or leadership team in a business is, are you clear on your vision? If you can't create a vision, which is three, five, 10 years out, it doesn't have to be real. It just has to be a direction of travel, a North Star, if you like. If you can't answer that question, I think it's almost impossible to create a congruent culture. And actually, if you can answer that question, it's quite easy because you work back from that and you say, okay, if that's where we're going to go, what sort of people need to be on this journey? What sort of, you know, how do we need to work? How do we need to operate? What, what, what's the important stuff? everything comes from that center point so that's the starting point if you're sitting you know here listening to this rambling australian uh (laughs) and you're running a business and you're thinking actually this culture thing makes some sense but i'm not quite sure where to start ask yourself that question if you can't get it clear start to write it down and that's the starting point awesome well i think i think that's great because you know a lot of what we heard is it depends right it depends on the company and the people and what they are doing and what they value. But I think that's a really concrete place for everyone to start if they want to spend some more time thinking about their company culture. It's also, to finish the point, Sarah, it's also the starting point of changing a culture. Mm-hmm. But if you inherit a business, you buy a business and you want to change the culture, you start with changing the vision. Yeah, that's great. Well, thank you so much, Nick. Where can people find you if they want to find out more about what you're up to and how maybe yeah, they can sure. work there's with lots you? There's lots of rambling on social media and you know, telling, you know, similar to what I'm doing here. Um, so my podcast is scale up your business. So you can, you can find that if you do a search on Apple podcasts, Stitcher or Spotify, um, it's been number one in the UK in the business charts for a number of weeks now. So definitely worth a listen. Yeah. yeah. It's been good fun doing that. Um, and then you can always find me on LinkedIn. Just, just have a search for Nick Bradley, scale up your business. And my company is the fielding group, which is www.fielding.global. Um, and as I said, we, we call ourselves a business growth accelerator because we focus on all the areas where, you know, you really need to get deliberate about driving growth from your business. Awesome. Well, Nick, thank you so much for being on the Fabric Podcast today. It was really enjoyable. Thank you so much for your time. No, thank you very much for having me. And I've um, very much enjoyed the conversation. Great. Thank you. A big thank you to Nick from The Fielding Group, who has helped us realize no matter who you are, no matter where your company is, If you want to get clear on company culture, you need to ask yourself that one question and get clear on what your vision is. That can become your North Star. On behalf of the team here at The Receptionist, thanks for listening to The Fabric Podcast. If you'd like to know more about what we do, go to thereceptionist.com, where you can watch webinars, read blogs, and even sign up for a 14-day free trial. See you on the next episode.